0: Well, it is such a joy and a privilege to be together this afternoon to honor the God of heaven. We uh, appreciate so very much the presence of everyone and especially the visitors who could be with us today. We just sang a beautiful song, Make Me a Servant, Make Me a Servant like Jesus is a servant. And Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve, he says, and he was excellent at serving. And so today we want to talk about being excellent, excelling at serving others, This is, in fact, the epitome of the life and work of Jesus Christ. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be noticing, to begin with, a section of what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. In the middle of chapter 5, in about verse 38, Jesus mentions to the Jews that you've heard that it was said of old time, or said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say say to you, I tell you, to resist, to, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Whoever wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who, does not want, who, who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And so Jesus challenges his listeners and challenges us to go beyond... What is commonly accepted as justice in this world, what is commonly accepted as fair and kind in this world, and to be extraordinarily kind, and to be extraordinarily merciful. And when somebody would slap you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. And when somebody wants to take something from you, you don't protest, you give it to them. And what a strange kind of description Jesus has, but Jesus is trying to teach us and everyone to serve like he's serving, to be a servant like he's a servant. And that is especially true then when we get to this next section, when he says in verse uh, 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what are you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's calling us to be like his Father is and thus to be like he is. In the first century, there were over 50,000 miles of Roman roads. And every one of them had a mile marker. The mile marker served uh, a number of purposes. We have mile markers on our roads, that was a Roman idea. The mile markers served a number of purposes. They gave directions. In fact, most of them had written on them the description, the, the uh, information about how far it was from that marker to Rome. All roads led to Rome. And uh, there was obviously distinction between one marker and the next. Those markers were used in Judea in the first century. Judea was, as much of uh, the Mediterranean basin, was under Roman Roman occupation. The Roman soldiers traveled the land all of the time. They held power over the people. The law said that the lowest Roman soldier, if he were a corporal or a private, so to speak, in the Roman army, that he could demand any Jew to carry his pack for a mile, any Jew. It didn't matter your status or position in Jewish society. You could have been a nobleman, you could have been a pauper, you could have been anything in between, and the Roman soldier could compel you to carry his load for a mile, Every Jew was subject to that command. All were vulnerable. And if you were compelled to do that by the Roman soldier, you must stop whatever you were doing, however important it may be, and follow the command of a foreign soldier who was occupying your own homeland. It was degrading. It was humiliating. It was something that virtually anybody would object to. And yet, Jesus says if someone compels you to go with them one mile, go with them two. Here, then, is one of the big keys, I believe, to living a life that is Christ like the life of a servant. And that is not just to do what is expected of someone who is a servant. Now, not someone who is a family member or someone who's in a high position or someone who's middle class or someone who's living in you know, a nice house in a nice neighborhood and is highly respected in the community. We're living lives as Christians, as servants. We have come to be Christ-like, to serve like Christ Serve. To be slaves, literally, is often the word that is found in the New Testament. To be a slave. And to be a slave who not only is wanting to do what the master says, but to do more than the master says. Wanting to do not only what the master has asked for with uh, an okay attitude, but an attitude that is happy about it. Is pleased to do. What one is asked to do, and more than what one is asked to do. So, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is the motivation for this. What motivates this kind of service? And Jesus really explains it, doesn't he? He says that we're to love, love our enemies, love like Jesus loves, love like the Father loves, be merciful like He's merciful. And so to love one's neighbor is the first mile, but to love one's enemy is the second mile. To bless those who bless you is the first mile, but to bless those who curse you is the second mile. To do good to those who do good to you, that's the first mile. To do good to those who hate you, that is the second mile. Praying for those who pray for you is the first mile, and praying for those who despitefully use you and persecute you is the second mile. To serve those who are demanding, Is the first mile. But to do more than demanded. That is the second mile. Is it any wonder. That there's not a lot of traffic on the second mile. (laughs) Not a lot of traffic there. To love those who love you. Is the first mile. But to love those who hate you. to show it there's the second mile and that's the mile we're called to walk as servants love motivates us to excel at serving through love galatians 5 and verse 13 says we are to serve one another brethren paul says You've been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And he then goes on to say, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's the key to service. And that's the same thing that Jesus is in essence saying in Matthew 5 where we read. And so we love and serve others because Christ loved and served us. We want to be servants as he is a servant. In 1 John chapter 3, in one of many places in Scripture we could go to to consider this thought, but in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, John says, By this we know love. Here's how I know what love is all about. Here's how I have come to experience the, the, the true depth of love. Here's what love is. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. Here's the greatest expression of love ever. That Jesus, the high and the holy, the magnificent Son of God, lowered himself to come to this earth and live a human life and die a shameful death to serve you and me in our service. You remember the night that he was betrayed in John chapter 13. He goes around and he washes the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, no, not me. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus, in essence, says, Peter, unless you let me serve you, you can have nothing to do with me. And Peter says, okay, well, then wash all of me. (laughs) Jesus came to serve. And unless we let him serve us in this capacity of giving himself for us, we don't understand who he is. We don't understand what love is. But when we, when we let him do that, when we acknowledge that, and we uh, uh, agree and acknowledge that he is our Lord and our Savior, that he has paid the price for our sins, then we experience his love. Then we know the price of love. And the cost of it in our lives. And it's to be a servant. Surely that's what he was teaching the disciples. In 1 John 3, Jesus go, uh, John goes on to say, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed or in truth. So loving is something we do in deeds, in actions. And we will excel in serving in these actions for one another's benefit when we first give ourselves to the Lord. There's a passage in 2 Corinthians 8 I love and I've used a lot in sermons. Uh, I'd like to consider it again with you now for just a moment where Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to make good on a promise to take up a collection for needy saints to give for their well-being. And he uses some other churches who are doing a good job at that to sort of spur the Corinthians on. He says in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, That in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So here are people who are very poor, but they're willing to give freely. The abundance of their liberality. And I might say that the the, the concept there in, in, in that expression, the riches of their liberality, is that they were over and above. They excelled at giving. That's really the concept. They went beyond and beyond what might be expected. He goes on and describes it. He says, For I bear them witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we might receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but first they gave themselves to the Lord and then to us, by the will of God, it's it's that, that that is the key to that, to these people being so willing to give of themselves sacrificially and to serve others with what they had to give, it's that they first gave themselves to the Lord, and when you give yourself to the Lord, when you give all of you to the Lord, and serving others, serving others is sort of a natural thing to do. Because it's what he did. As we go on in that context, interestingly, we come to one of our theme verses for the year. Uh, Two verses on in verse 7. When Paul then says to the Corinthians, As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You excel in service. You excel in giving, in sharing, because you gave yourself to the Lord. At least that's what the Macedonians had done. And he's calling on the Corinthians to do it too. In Romans chapter 12, to look at this in another context, but the same ideas. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, the familiar passage, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we give ourselves again to the Lord. We present our bodies a living sacrifice. What does he do with that sacrifice? What are we to do as we present our bodies a living sacrifice? What's entailed in that? He says, we all have been given a lot of gifts. There are, he says in verse 4, many members in one body. Not all the members have the same function. We being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. So the way you present your body as a living sacrifice in part is if God has given you something, you use it to his glory. You use it for the benefit of others. And if it would have been a spiritual gift like prophecy, you use that for the benefit of others. But what about the gift of ministry? That means, literally, the word ministry means service. You have An ability to serve. What do you do with it? You use it to serve others. Ministry, let let us use it in our ministry. If teaching, in our teaching. Exhorting and exhortation. Who gives with liberality. Who leads with diligence. So whatever you can do for others, you do that for others. That's the point. Why? Because you have given your body as a living sacrifice. You've given yourself to the Lord. And so all of your other gifts, talents, abilities... Resources, all of those are at the disposal of the Lord to use to serve others. We are, then, people who are going to serve others. And we come in this context to uh, just a few verses on, uh, as he, he talks about other things that you do, Let love be without hypocrisy, verse 9. Verse 10, be kindly affection to one another. Verse 11, not lagging in diligence. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope. And then verse 13, in the same context, same sentence almost. He says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So a saint needs something. They have some area of their life, a physical need perhaps. You serve that. You take care of that. You're, you're given to hospitality. The word given there is a word uh, Joseph Henry Thayer in his Greek lexicon says metaphorically it means to pursue, to eagerly seek after. So here's something you're going after. It's not just you're waiting for opportunities to come to you to be of service to others or to see about others' needs. But you're actively pursuing, doing that. You're, you're given, you're pursuing, uh, helping saints. Showing hospitality. The word hospitality is one we're going to focus on in a minute, but it comes from a Greek word, philoxenos, and it means the love of strangers. So you're just showing, again, love is the basis here. We're loving people. We're loving people we don't even know. And we're demonstrating that that by serving them. By serving them. Hospitality, we think of that as just having somebody over to our house, and that could be hospitality, but it can be shown in lots of other ways using what we have to serve others. So that, that does bring us to this point. We are to be addicted to hospitality. Out of love, this love we've been motivated by, the love of Jesus Christ, then we're, we're given over to it. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15, Paul says, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus. It's the first fruits of Achaia. And that they have devoted, the King James Version says, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, to serving the saints. They've devoted themselves to it. They've addicted themselves to it. Lydia in Acts chapter 16 and verse 15, you might remember, she was just a new convert, had just obeyed the gospel. She believed and was baptized. The next thing that happens in in that account, in Acts chapter 16, in verse 15, when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she persuaded us. Do you see immediately in this person's life What accepting the love of Jesus, Jesus' service to her in dying for her, she recognizes that, believes it, is baptized into Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, she's baptized into then his love, in essence, for the remission of her sins. She comes up out of the water and she says, Paul, come stay at my house. And Paul probably said, well, I I don't know. No, she says, no, if you think I'm, I'm a true believer, if you think I'm a faithful Christian, if you think I've really touched, Christ has touched me, and I understand his love, you come stay at my house. And she persuaded us, Paul says. You see, that's not somebody for whom helping others is just a passing fancy or something they'll do once in a while if they feel like it. It's somebody who's automatically addicted to loving others. And she's going to do what she can for others, and especially for those who are forwarding the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She recognizes that in Paul. Such help and hospitality is given without the expectation of reciprocation. You know, Lydia wasn't expecting anything back. That's not why you do it. That's not why you help others out. It doesn't matter if they can help you out or not. doesn't matter if you're going to get something in return later on. You know, a lot of people in, in politics, in the business world, they do favors for others, <laughs> expecting that they're going to get a favor back down the road somewhere. That's kind of how this world works, you know, how everything stays greased that way, as they say. That's not how the Christian works. It doesn't matter one bit. You do something for somebody else, you'll never say, well, they never did anything for me in return. Well, so what? That's not what it's about. It's about loving people like Christ loved you. He loved you whether you're going to do anything back or not. He came to serve you. And we're here to serve others. Jesus said in Luke 14, in verse 12, He'd been invited to a feast, and he said to those who invited him, When you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. You're not in it to be repaid, is the point. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, and you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. See, our payment is down the road. (laughs) The Lord's going to take care of that. We're working for him. We're living for him. In the modern hospitality business, that's a funny word to me. Uh, the hospitality business—how <laughs> can hospitality be a business? But it is, and so you go to these fancy resorts or whatever it is, you know, and they have all this stuff they cater to you. When you pay half a year's salary, you know, they cater to you, and maybe they'll give you really great service because they'll excel in their service. But is it hospitality? Is that what that is? Because they're loving strangers, right? That's, that's right. No, they're loving money. That's why they're doing that. It's nice to be pampered in that way, I suppose, but that's, the point is that's not what hospitality is. That's not what hospitality is. Hospitality is giving and doing for others. No matter what it takes, no matter what the cost, and whether it's going to be appreciated or not. That's what Jesus did. Among the many dozens and dozens, actually, of examples of hospitality in the, the Old and New Testaments. One that we don't look at a lot, but it's pretty interesting to me is found in the book of Genesis chapter 24. You might remember that Abraham had come to, near the end of his days and he was uh, really wanting a wife for Isaac. Didn't want Isaac to marry somebody from the land. He sends uh, his favorite servant back to his homeland uh, to fetch Isaac a wife. And so Isaac gets there. He's got ten camels with him that he'd taken of Abraham's. And he, he gets there and he says, well, how, am I, how in the world am I going to find a suitable wife? And so he prays to the Lord, basically, whoever, whichever of, he stopped at a well there. And, and he, he says, whichever of the, the women come out and uh, is willing to give me and my camels a drink, she's going to be the one. So he prays to God that this will be the sign. And sure enough, that's what, what happens. The, all the women are coming out. It's in the evening time. They're all coming out to, to draw water at the well. And, and uh, he, he talks to this woman who winds up being Rebecca. And Rebecca says, you, you know, can I give you a drink? And he gets a drink. And can I water your camels too, by the way? And, okay, water my camels. And As the story unfolds, here you have a, a woman young maiden, very beautiful as the text describes her, watering ten camels, drawing water from a well. Now you might not think that's a big deal. A thirsty camel, and I'm quite sure these were thirsty camels, can drink up to between 20 and 30 gallons at a time. 20 and 30 gallons. So very possibly she lugged Somewhere between 200 and 300 gallons of water in a bucket that might have held a couple of gallons. Hard to tell how long it took her. Heard one guy observe about this story: We have a lot of men in this world that need to learn to serve like a girl. That's just one of, as I said, dozens and dozens of examples of godly people showing hospitality in the Bible. You have Abraham when the three angels in the form of men come to his house. I mean, they're running around making cakes, killing the fatted calf, everything else, just because three visitors came by. Over and over again, you have godly people being kind to others. Because that's what the Lord would want them to do. I'd like us, and the Lord would like us, to learn to excel at simple service. Let's go in our Bibles now to Matthew chapter 25. In the familiar story that Jesus tells about the judgment day, when the king comes and he's sitting on his throne and he divides the nations before him, the evil from the good, uh, the left hand and the right hand, And he judges them. And he says to the righteous, we'll pick up the reading of this in chapter 25 and verse 34. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. How hard are any of those things to do? Is there a degree of difficulty to that? That, you know, just beyond our ability? What's the difference between the people who are given an eternal inheritance by the king and those who are consigned to everlasting torment in hell. What's the difference in this story that Jesus tells of the judgment? It's simply how much they showed their love for others and in pretty small ways once you think about it. Jesus equates our acts of kindness on behalf of those in need around us as acts of kindness given to him. Because the righteous say, well, when did we do these things? We don't remember doing any of this stuff for you, Lord. We never saw the king. We, we were just doing things for people. And then he says, "Inasmuch as you did it, did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And so Jesus equates these acts of kindness that we do for others, these acts of service that we show to others, he equates that to helping him personally. And he judges on that Basis. As one commentator put it, in Jesus the service of God and the service of the least of the brethren were one. Same thing. I've said this many times before. What's the difference between doing something in service to the Lord and doing something in service to your neighbor? As far as it counts on God's record, not any. It's the same. The acts which Christ mentions in this passage, as I said, are simple and each has a ring of compassion. We are to be personally committed and convicted. We must be personally involved in caring for others. It's not just, you know, writing a check to some institution or organization. It's caring about the work that's done. Yes, writing a a check, if you will, giving to good organizations, especially the Lord's body, is a great thing. Great work can be done corporately as a body. But don't detach yourself from what's being done, even then. But here we're talking about personal responsibility to serve. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1, The Hebrew writer says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. When he says, don't forget to entertain strangers, he doesn't mean, you know, do a magic trick to entertain the strangers. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about caring for them, even though you don't know them. Again, showing hospitality. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Care about others as if you're caring for yourself because you are. You're in the body also. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. You demonstrate it in real ways. Remembering the prisoners and the mistreated as if we were suffering with them is, is really personal. As if we were there in the cell with them or suffering the same oppression, mistreatment that they're suffering. Someone said that Before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will be judged not by how much I have done, but by how much I could have done. In God's sight, my giving is not measured by how much I have given, but by how much I have left after my gift. Think of the widow's mite. Who gave the most? The widow with her two mites or all the rich who put in much? Jesus said it was the widow with her two mites because she gave all she had. Everyone can serve. Anyone can serve. Again, the activities that are being described here that Jesus described in Matthew 25, uh, the service of hospitality, watering somebody's camels, all of these things are things that virtually anybody could do. Now, some of us have physical limitations. We understand that. But most of us are capable of doing any of these things. They don't require an abundance of wealth, an abundance of talent, a lot of intellect. They are are simple acts. You see, Jesus does not tell us to fix all of the world's problems in one shot. Rather, he invites us to make a difference in simple ways in people's lives day by day and to start with our brethren. Excelling in servanthood is for anyone and everyone. It's not just for the elders. It's not just for the deacons. And I believe our elders and deacons, by the way, do excel in service. But there are lots of other people here who excel in service. And we all need to strive to do that. To live to serve. Service, as we've said then, is in small things. Sometimes even smaller than we might imagine. Even smaller than the ones we've already talked about. How hard is it, is it to go and visit somebody? How hard is it to uh, you know, take somebody a little food or give somebody a drink when they're thirsty? Not difficult to do any of those things. But there are even simpler things that we can do. And if we're addicted to service and we're excelling in service... The kinds of things like Peter mentions in 1 Peter chapter three, verses eight and nine. He says, "Finally, all of you be of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, be courteous. Serve one another just by being courteous. Just a kind word, acknowledging somebody's presence. A hello, shake your hand. How are you doing? Greet the brethren." Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Say thank you. Say please. Acknowledge good deeds. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil, he goes on to say, or reviling for reviling. Sounds like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't give the bad back that people give to you. Give them good. Bless them. How hard is that? What's that cost you to bless somebody who's hurt you? to return blessing for reviling so that you may inherit a blessing. How hard is it to, to show this kind of love and without complaining about it, be hospitable to one another without grumbling, without complaining, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9 says. How hard is it to not speak evil of people and to not share gossip? We talk about a way to serve others from time to time. <laughs> Just nip all of that in the bud. Don't speak evil of one another. Titus chapter 3 and verse 2. To help one another with our burdens, our daily burdens, our our burdens of health, our burdens that concern us, uh, whether they're emotional problems that we're having, depression that we're suffering from, fears that we're having. How hard is it to share those burdens? And the burdens of sin that Assault us from time to time and that all of us have to deal with. How hard is it to share those burdens? That didn't cost you anything. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love each other. What this is all about. Excelling means going the second mile. It means doing more than is asked or expected from others and for others. To excel in serving others is to do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. Excellence in serving. Paul had an interesting letter, I think, that he wrote to Philemon. I won't preach the whole lesson, but tell the whole book. But Philemon was a Christian, had a runaway slave, wound up with Paul in prison, or where Paul was. Paul converted him. He sends Onesimus, this runaway slave, sends him back to Philemon. And he says... Receive him as a brother. Treat him as a brother. If he owes you anything, put that to my account. He really asked Philemon uh, to do a lot, considering he was the man you know, that was the master of this slave. He's asking. It's a big ask. And then he writes, Philemon, in verse 21, and he says, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. You will do even more than I say. So here's the thing. See, God has asked us to do this, this, and this. All the things we've talked about in serving one another this morning. God has asked us to be like his son in doing those things. I wonder if he wrote a letter to you and said, Now, I've asked you to do this, this, and this, but I have confidence that you will do even more than I ask. Do you think the Lord has that confidence in you this morning? Does he have it in me? There's the very notion of excellence right there. There's the difference between somebody who's doing all they're supposed to do and somebody who goes the second mile. And Jesus calls us to go the second mile. Thank you so much for your good attention today. Is there someone here who's ready to give their life to Jesus? Really give your life to Jesus and let him have his way with you. If you're ready to obey the gospel, if we can help you in any way. Please come while we stand and while we sing.